This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, September 29th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, UAW President Sean Fain announced the expansion of the UAW strike this morning, saying 7,000 more UAW members at Ford and GM would join. It's the war of the working class versus corporate greed. We are the new arsenal of democracy. The workers are the liberators, and our strike is the vehicle for liberation. The reason the union spared Stellantis and how automakers are responding coming up. Also, automotive news reporter Michael Martinez joins the show to talk about the developments and how they play into the UAW strategy. These are all pretty big developments that we weren't sure if Stellantis would get there. Ford had gotten there on those things a few weeks ago. Stellantis was still pretty far behind until now. Plus, we'll hear from Congresswoman Debbie Dingell about the ongoing UAW strike and this week's visits to Michigan from President Biden and former President Trump. Everybody wants to make this about President Biden versus Trump. It is a distraction from what the real issues are at the bargaining table. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The UAW expanded its strike against the Detroit Three by launching walkouts at two more assembly plants today. The UAW is now striking Ford's assembly plant in Chicago. It builds the Ford Explorer and Lincoln Aviator SUVs and a General Motors plant near Lansing, Michigan. That's where the Chevrolet Traverse and Buick Enclave large crossovers are assembled. The plants employ about 7,000 people. Stellantis was spared in this round. UAW President Sean Fain said last-minute progress was made with the automaker just before he went live on Facebook. Moments before this broadcast, Stellantis made significant progress on the 2009 cost of living allowance, the right not to cross a picket line, as well as the right to strike over product commitments and plant closures and outsourcing moratoriums. The union strike against the Detroit Three has now entered its third week. With today's escalation, 17% of the 146,000 union members working at the automakers are on strike. The strike, now in its 15th day, started moments after the UAW's contracts with the companies expired. That's when workers at three large assembly plants, one at each automaker, walked off the job. Last week, 38 GM and Stellantis parts distribution facilities across 20 states joined the strike. We are fed up with corporate greed. And we are fed up with corporate excess. We are fed up with breaking our bodies for companies that take more and more and give less and less. As of noon Eastern time today, 25,000 of us will be on strike for a better future. Automakers are reacting to today's developments. GM said it hasn't received a counteroffer from the UAW since its latest proposal was made more than a week ago. Gerald Johnson who is GM's executive vice president of global manufacturing, said calling more strikes is just for the headlines, 
not real progress. Meanwhile, Stellantis said it has been working with the UAW to find solutions to the issues that are of most concern to its employees while ensuring the company can remain competitive. And Ford held a news conference this afternoon where CEO Jim Farley pushed back against the UAW's messaging. In the fog of all the rhetoric, I think people are missing that Ford has stepped up with a historic offer. And bottom line, someone needs to tell the truth about what's really going on and what's at stake here. He went on to say the automaker will never mortgage its future. Earlier in the week, Ford said it had halted work on a $3.5 billion battery plant in Michigan. The move angered Fane. The office of Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, also released a statement today. It said the prospect of a prolonged strike combined with a federal shutdown is the greatest threat to the American economy, future job growth, and the state's fiscal health if a deal is not made soon. The statement encouraged getting a deal done as soon as possible and said time is of the essence. Also racing against the clock, suppliers are asking the federal government to quickly provide aid to smaller parts makers that are facing major financial trouble amid the UAW strike. Ann Wilson, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at Motor and Equipment Manufacturers Association, said the supply chain, particularly smaller suppliers, came into this strike in a fragile position. The association represents more than a thousand automotive companies at multiple tiers. Wilson told Automotive News that about 75% of the organization's members have indicated they will be forced to lay off employees if the strike lasts for one month. And now, for perspective on today's developments, we turn to Automotive News reporter Michael Martinez. Mike, another big day here. Welcome back to Daily Drive. Happy to be here. You bet. So, okay, uh, we're still kind of processing the news, but uh, we saw... Uh, Stellantis did not get an expansion. Uh, they had seemed to be uh, the toughest bargaining position and kind of the furthest behind, at least in the, the glimpses we got earlier in the process. Uh, what's going on now? Well, this is a significant development. Literal moments before the broadcast started, and we think that's why the broadcast was delayed a bit mm. Friday morning, they got an offer back from Stellantis. Now, if you look at the cadence of how things have been happening, Stellantis issued a proposal on September 21st. They hadn't heard back. The union responded on Thursday, a day before their strike expansion deadline, with a counter. And then Stellantis obviously quickly took that into consideration and apparently have agreed to more priorities on Sean Fain's list. They include that cost of living adjustment formula back from 2009, reactivated. He said they've made progress in terms of Stellantis now offering them the right to strike over plant closures, which seems pretty big. Also have agreed to an outsourcing moratorium over the life of the contract. So these are all pretty big developments that we weren't sure if Stellantis would get there. Ford had gotten there on those things a few weeks ago. Stellantis was still pretty far behind until now. As you mentioned, Ford, you know, had really seemed to be in the lead last week. They didn't get uh, their parts depots struck, for instance. And f of course, they also were the lead in Canada. Uh, you know, Ford has very solid labor relations. Uh, they know how these things work. But then it kind of got derailed. There was, uh, I guess, the the Marshall announcement uh, earlier in the week. Uh, tell us how that is playing in. So on Monday, Ford made a, a really surprise announcement to a lot of people that they were halting construction on this $3.5 billion 
facility that they're building in Marshall, Michigan, and saying essentially they needed to take a step back and make sure they could run that plant cost competitively. Mm. And you wonder if that is an effect of these negotiations. Sean Fain and the UAW have made uh, battery plants an issue and making sure that all workers are at the same pay scale. Mm -hmm. So you wonder if that had an effect there. And clearly the union was angered by that announcement. Fain put out the statement accusing them of cutting jobs at plants that aren't even built yet. Um, so <laughs> maybe talks stalled after that. I, I've been told that things really just didn't happen this week. It was hmm. not a whole lot of movement or at least maybe not movement, but at least not a whole lot of progress. Mm -hmm. There's still been talks, but they just haven't achieved much. And the tone around the conversation with Ford shifted dramatically after that. Well, to be fair, the tone with everyone has shifted this week, and you've seen the union ramp up rhetoric accusing the companies of enabling violence on the picket line, which for from everything we know seems like a bit of a stretch. Uh, there have been reports of drivers hitting workers, uh, few reports in California of guns being drawn on workers. As far as we know, in that incident in Flint where five workers were hit by a car, that worker was a regular sanitation housekeeping contractor. Sean Vane has accused the companies of hiring violent scabs to cross the picket lines. So just not really good rhetoric back and forth. The companies say they're appalled by this. They're firing back. So really just the decorum and the niceties between the two don't exist right now. And I think it's emblematic of just how tense these negotiations are. So General Motors is the one that hasn't gotten to pass any of the three weeks of announcements. Uh, are things particularly bad between the UAW and GM? Uh, obviously, he has mentioned some of these incidents on the picket lines. Or is it just all part of the same tone? I think it's all part of the same tone and part of that same strategy we reported last week when the leaked direct messages came out from mm -hmm. the union's communications director saying they want to cause chaos and reputational damage to these companies and wound them for months. According to GM, at least, the union's been sitting on their latest proposal for more than a week since September 21st, similar to Stellantis. Now, the union countered Stellantis. Mm -hmm. As far as we know, they didn't counter GM. The two sides met late Wednesday this week. Mary Barra was not at the table. We've been told Sean Fain was, but it doesn't seem like the union really gave them much to go on to counter back. This week, we had visits from the current president who went to a picket line, a really historic development. Uh, and of course, the former president uh, spoke nearby the following day. Does all of that attention, all of that national attention distract from the actual negotiations? In a way, yes. Maybe not literally in that, as far as I know, the vice presidents of the union, the, the head negotiating bargainers at the table weren't around for Biden's visit. It was Sean Fain, and it was a relatively brief visit at that. So in theory, they could have been negotiating. They could have kept their heads down. They could have done it. But what I think the issue here is not only with Biden, but with Trump's visit is that it draws the attention away from the negotiations. It puts them in more of a national spotlight, and it gives the union, honestly, a lot more leverage when the most powerful man in the world and then Donald Trump the next day are talking about the union. Biden is endorsing their calls for a significant raise. He's endorsing what Sean Fain is saying. He's asking for a record contract. Mm -hmm. And 
if you're the companies, you can't be too happy about that. Michael Martinez, keep up the good work. We'll see you again on Daily Drive. Thanks, Jimmy. Coming up, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell joins the show. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. My team and I went to each car company separately. We sat down and we said, you know, what can you do? What you cannot do? How much time you need? How much going to cost you? And that pay off big time. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they come around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available wherever you get your podcasts starting September 11th. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The UAW strike has drawn all kinds of political attention. President Joe Biden visited a picket line in Michigan on Tuesday. On Wednesday, former President Donald Trump visited the Detroit area, trying to appeal to working class voters in his bid for the Republican presidential nomination. And many other politicians have joined UAW workers as they rally for a deal that restores the pay and benefits they lost during the Great Recession. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell has been among them, the Michigan Democrat joins me now to talk about the ongoing strike and the week's events in her home state. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, welcome to Daily Drive. It is great to be with you on Daily Drive. You were present for history this week when President Joe Biden joined a UAW picket line. Traditionally, presidents stay hands off or just like encourage the sides to find a middle ground and get a deal done. Is it a bad idea for the president of the United States to be taking sides like that? 
he was showing that he was standing for the workers, which, by the way, I think he had been very clear before he came to Michigan. I did not go to the picket line with him, by the way. I think that was a moment between him and the workers. I think all of us need to be ensuring we're listening to all sides. I think he did want to, I think that this is a moment in time where workers are concerned that people haven't cared about them, that they want to have a voice. Uh, I've been very clear also that I don't believe that the president should intervene in these strikes and that these discussions, these negotiations are between the workers and the companies. We took the same position on our editorial board as well. You can't expect politicians not to voice their opinions, but they shouldn't actually be at the table. The parties have to come to their own agreements. And beyond that, I do think that there is a legitimate role to play in terms of, I believe that these are the most important negotiations I will witness in my lifetime. And I hope I have a lot of life left in me too. But I've watched a lot of these negotiations. I know what's been at stake. These are really the future of our other industry. We came out of a very bad time that some of us remember very strongly from 2008 and 2009, where in reality, the future of the domestic auto industry was really challenged. Uh, the companies have come back. They're successful. The workers were part of saving the industry in those days. They gave up their cost of living uh, adjustments so that they could help make the company strong. But these negotiations are are occurring in a moment of the most serious transition this industry has seen as we address both the product, the challenges of global climate change and what the technology and innovation should be of the future. And we have to make sure we have a competitive auto industry. We're competing in a global marketplace and our workers are the backbone of the success of these companies and the workers need to be compensated and treated fairly and need to be seen as for what they are, which is critical to the success of these companies and the future of the automobile industry in America. Yep. Uh, thank you for correcting me that you were not at the picket line. You were there when the president got off Air Force One and met with Sean Fain. And I'm, I'm curious about the dynamic between the two, because from the outside, you know, we see last Friday, uh, Sean Fain calls on President Biden, you know, the president of the United States to come to the picket line. And boom, there he is just days later. It's it's like he's able to snap his fingers and, and make the most powerful man in the world jump. And of course, as you said, you know, President Biden has already identified himself as as very pro worker, pro labor. But does President Biden need the UAW's endorsement? So you are doing what every other reporter in America is doing, and it's my number one bugaboo. This, these negotiations are about the future of our, our industry. These are about ensuring that we've got a strong, healthy industry and that our workers who are the backbone of it are paid well and that we come out of this with workers being uh, having a strong future and companies having a strong future. This isn't about the presidential race. Everybody wants to make this about President Biden versus Trump. It is a distraction from what the real issues are at the bargaining table. And I think we should be focused on the bargaining table, what the issues are that the workers have, what they're negotiating between the two companies, 
and not discussing next year's presidential election. The current and former president both coming to the state this week draws attention, right? That's what they were here for. So I'm not talking presidential politics till these negotiations are over. I'm going to be that blunt. Uh, I keep saying that to people. It's a distraction. And I think, quite frankly, some of it pours kerosene on a fire that really is already flammable without the necessity of any other flammable something being poured on it. So uh, I understand why people are focused on it, because it's the gotcha question of the week. But I don't think these negotiations are about next year's presidential race. These negotiations are about the future of the industry that I love. They're about the future of my state, because... This industry is so critical to it. It's about the future of the workers and the next generation of workers. It's the future of our economy, and it's about keeping our country competitive in a global marketplace. In the interest of keeping tempers or uh, situations from becoming overly explosive, did you have a role in keeping the UAW demonstrators from disrupting the Detroit Auto Show charity preview? Did you help negotiate sort of keeping some distance between those activities? Look, I have lots of discussions with people. I knew how important the auto show is in a ritual and tradition way. And we want to be able to sell the vehicles that the auto workers are making. But I think most importantly, in my discussions with the leadership of uh, of the UAW, important money is raised that Friday evening to help children and to help children with cancer, uh, among other things. So they asked me if I would attend the rally and then to tell people that I was going to the charity preview. There wouldn't be a picket line that I would not cross. And so maybe I facilitated some discussions, but I think the UAW knew that they did not want to harm an event that is very important to local charities. Before I let you go, I have to ask about the other burning issue on the table, which is, you know, it looks like the federal government is heading toward at least a partial shutdown this weekend. Are you concerned? What is that going to do to the auto industry, which is, as you said, so prominent in your district and to your constituency, you know, economically, given that we're a business publication? I am so concerned about what is going to happen this weekend. It's singularly the most irresponsible thing that we can do. And it'll impact the lives of every single American in multiple different ways. It threatens our national security. You think about the men and women who serve us in the military, keeping us safe, borders, the FAA, the TSA, people who get Social Security and Medicare checks, the safety of our food, the safety of our medicines, and the list goes on. It's going to have an impact on the economy. This is a, I won't use the word I want to use because this is a podcast that's public, but this is solely on the shoulders of Kevin McCarthy and a group really of only 10 people within the House of Representatives who are in a contest between themselves and the Speaker can't get the votes. Mitch McConnell has made it very clear in the Senate, the Republican leader, this is irresponsible and not a way to go. And I hope I'm going to be working all weekend. I've had very little sleep between strike and this. I'm averaging two to three hours of sleep a night. I've rolled up my sleeves. I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to keep the government open. And if the Republicans careen on this course, they seem that they're going to and shut the government down. I'm going to do everything I can to get the government opened as fast as I can. 
In the meantime, if my constituents have issues, I'm working. I'm working seven days a week. My phones will be answered in the office, and we're going to try to help people that we can with the government being shut down. No, this isn't the way you run the United States government. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, representing Michigan's 6th District in the United States House of Representatives, thank you for joining Daily Drive today. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode includes reporting from our own Michael Martinez and John Irwin. You can get the latest news on the UAW strike, its effect on suppliers, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.